Welcome to Power of the Cross Radio Sermons. Up next is a multi-part teaching session from Brother Lauren Larson. We know this message titled, Servant and Debtor, will be a blessing to you. Now, here is part two of the teaching. Flesh. We live in a body of flesh. But the the flesh is not just the body. The flesh is everything God created in humankind. That's the mind, the heart, the soul, the spirit. And Paul said, me, that is in my flesh, dwells no good thing. So no matter how far along we have become or gone into this transformation process, no matter how many victories we've won, no matter how far God has taken us, we can't ever take over. Because the body is dead because of sin. So I never count on myself. When I count on myself, I'm living after the flesh. But I, watch, through the Spirit. There it is. Through the means of the Spirit. What Spirit? The Spirit that moved on the inside of you the moment you were born again. I, through the Spirit, do put to death the deeds of the body. And once again, when I say body or flesh, don't just think of physical frame. It's you. It's your mind. It's your heart, your soul, your spirit, everything in you. I don't want anybody to raise their hand, but in the last 24 hours, has anybody had a wrong thought? Please don't raise your hands. Please don't. No, no. Yeah. Jennifer's back there. Me, me, me. I know you wanted to kill him, him, him. Yeah, I got it. I've often laughingly told my students at the Bible college that I have a machine that I can hook them up to, and on the screen we can throw out every thought you've had in the 20, last 24 hours. Who's first? If you ever need to evaluate your flesh, use that as an illustration to yourself. And right away you'll see the inconsistency that exists. And therefore, God's plan of justification by faith and sanctification through the Spirit will become a reality to you. You'll see you need it. So through the Spirit, how do I get the Spirit to work? Again, that's the message of the cross for sanctification or progressive growth. We are allowing the Spirit of God to move when we place our faith in Christ and Him crucified. And He changes us by the power of the Spirit. So I put to death, mortify, lay aside, put off everything about my person that's not involved in the nature and character of Christ through the Spirit. My role, place my faith securely, consistently, in humility, in Christ and what He's done. And know that His Spirit alone can do the work. And that means, that's what it means to through the Spirit. So first of all, I've got to live the Gospel. But Paul didn't stop there. He also said he felt obligated to share the Gospel. He's a debtor. You get it? He's a debtor. He's not just a servant. He's not just a bond slave. His will swallowed up in the will of his master and love of people dominating him. But he also recognizes that he's a debtor. He's first of all a debtor to be changed. He's first of all a debtor to be transformed by the power of the Spirit. And then he has an obligation to all men to share the Gospel. I am a debtor both to the Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise 
And to the unwise, I'm ready to come to Rome, he said, and preach the gospel because I'm a debtor. If we see ourselves as owing God a debt, not that he's telling us to earn something, but I, you feel it. When somebody gives something, there's a gratitude. There's a love gift you want to give back. When my wife is nice to me, I like to give her a hug even if she doesn't want it. It's, you, oh, you guys are tough talking. It's, it's what we like to do. We give back. Come on, somebody help me. I'm a debtor to respond to the good things in my life. And Paul saw himself as a debtor to one, preach the gospel. And to number two, share the gospel. It reminds me of the four lepers in Second Kings that were sitting outside the gate of Samaria. And you remember the story. I won't spend much time there. But they went to the camp of the Syrians because they looked at each other and everybody was dying in the inside Samaria. They were lepers. If they go inside, they're going to kill them. They said, let's go out to the camp of the Syrians and, and maybe they'll take us in. So we're going to die one way or the other. So why should we sit here you know, until we die. Let's go out to the Syrians. And when they got to the camp of the Syrians, they found it empty because God had moved supernaturally. And I think it was a total of 150 or 180,000 men that had heard another army coming and skedaddled out of there and left their whole camp and all their goodies and all their money and all their food. And these four guys, these four lepers were just kind of look like me, just part of a hand. And we're walking in, digging into the goodies, eating and eating and eating. And all of a sudden, one of them looked at the other. They'd even taken some and cashed it outside the camp so they could have a little bit on their own later. And then they come back in. I mean, they're, woohoo, look at this. We got the, then they stopped and they said, wait a minute. We're not doing well. This is a day of good tidings and we're not telling anybody. If we don't tell somebody, we're going to get you, or some mischief might come upon us now. Let's go share what we know. This is how we ought to feel. Are you getting it? This is how we ought to feel. You've been, you've been given the victory that brought you into the camp, that brought you into food and sustenance and life and living and joy and peace. And we ought to have that drive to say, man, I want you to have it too. I'm not just trying to hog this thing for myself. So, do we see ourselves as someone who is in fact in debt to God and responsible to both, to both embrace changing and sharing the gospel? If so, then we see ourselves as a debtor. Paul said, I'm a servant, a bond slave to all men, and I am a debtor. Is that how you feel this morning? If you know I haven't done a good job in the first 30 minutes. If you haven't seen that you are a debtor and you should be a servant, well, then I'm not doing real good. But for my own journey in the last year and a half, this became so real to me. I've been given such great liberty in Christ through the message of the cross. And I must be a servant. I must be a bond slave. Under the direction of the head of the church, bowing down to his, ins his instruction for love of my master and for love of other people, I must be a servant to share. That. And I'm obliged, first of all, to live it. If I'm 
traveling and preaching the gospel and I'm not living it, stay home until we live it. And and I got to be careful there because none of us are ever accomplished completely before we start sharing. So don't stay at home till you're perfect. Because if that's your motif and that's how you, how you think, and then you finally get out, I'll know what you think about yourself. And you don't want to do that. Because we're in transition. Paul would even say at the end of his ministry, I have not yet apprehended that which I was apprehended for. I'm still in the flux of change. But in this changing model, we are servants and we are debtors. And that's what this text has brought to life for me. Then he comes and he gives us four distinct categories of peoples. And this was important to me because a lot of times we get stuck just going to people that are comfortable with us. And as ministers, and even as sometimes as denominations and fellowships, we've said, well, the only people you can preach to and the only people you can fellowship with are people that have the same denominational name as me. I know that in the assemblies from which I uh, was first brought in, the assemblies didn't receive me, but um, I was in an Assemblies of God church because of my past, they wouldn't ordain me, but God placed me there. And so I was placed into a classic Pentecostal family right in the beginning. And then I went to Brother Swigert's, and, and when Brother Swigert has his issues in 1988, and the Church of God and the Assemblies of God said, we can't stay around you, um, they took all of their balls and went home. They took all their games and left and said, you know, you're not a part of us. We're not going to be a part of you. And because I was not a part of the Assemblies of God church, I couldn't preach in many Assemblies of God churches. And because I was not a, ordained with the Church of God, I couldn't go to the Church of God, etc., etc. And these were religious traditions that existed even in our day. Now, gladly, and, sat, and I'm very glad about it, a lot of those things have dropped uh, in the last 20, 30 years but yet it's the mindset that it's my group and only my group. The Assemblies of God was noted to have said, if God's going to bring a revival, He's going to bring it through us and no one else. Ladies and gentlemen, that is an evil attitude. And it doesn't show and it doesn't reveal the attitude of someone that's being changed and conformed into the image of Christ. Now, I'm not picking on the assemblies or church of God or any other fellowship or denomination. I'm not going to do that because I want to go to all of them. I want to, I want to shake hands with whoever will shake hands with me because I'm a debtor and I'm a servant. And I'm not better than anybody, but I have learned some things that I want to share. I have experienced some things that I feel obligated to pass on to other people. And the first group here is the Jews. Now, in Paul's day, we know what the Jews were. They were the group of people that God had designated to be His elect. They had been designated as that so that they could share the gospel with the rest of the world. But sure enough, the Jews became sectarian. That means they became intrinsic. They just focused on themselves, somewhat like denominations and fellowships have a 
are prone to do. And they stopped taking the Gospel out even though the Old Covenant law clearly stated that the elect of God, the Jew, who had the knowledge in the nat- of, of the nature and character of God revealed specifically in the Law of Moses, that was the third great revelation of God to humanity. It started with creation. It went to conscience when man was created. But the Law of Moses was the most dynamic, powerful uh, law or groupings of information about God that existed when it came. It was the first great model of God's nature and character. It showed people how to worship and it, and it gave types and figures and shadows of what God would do in the future. That was the whole reason. It was a stepping stone to the fourth revelation, which was Christ, and would introduce the fifth revelation when He said, it's better for you that I go that I might send back the Holy Spirit, the One who now lives inside of you. But the Jews became centered around the law. Now, one of the things about the law that you need to understand is that the law was never designed to save. It was designed for maintenance. Think that through a minute. Think about what I just said. The law was never designed to save. It was designed to teach and to help the people of God understand how to treat God and how to treat each other. That was the law of Moses. That was its purpose. And in order to really adhere to the law of Moses, you have to live in Israel. You have to have a temple. You have to have a high priest. And you have to follow all 613 of the laws that are in the law of Moses, not just 10. Dear listeners of Power of the Cross Radio, we're reaching out to you today with a heartfelt request that can make a world of difference. Our mission to spread hope, faith, and inspiration relies on your generous support. For years, Power of the Cross Radio has been a guiding light, bringing you messages of love, healing, and spiritual growth. But to continue touching lives, we need your help. Your contributions enable us to produce quality content, reach wider audiences, and keep the message of faith alive. Every dollar you offer is an investment in nurturing souls and fostering a community of believers. Join hands with us today. Your offering, whether big or small, holds the power to transform lives. Together, we can ensure that the light of power of the Cross Radio continues to shine brightly. Visit our website at www.cross.radio to make your secure donation. Remember, it's not just a financial contribution, it's a step towards spreading love, hope, and the message of the Cross to those who need it most. Thank you for being a part of this incredible journey. Your support fuels our mission, and together, we can make a profound impact. Now, back to the message. And they did that, and God established them in the land, and they became sectarian and separate. And part of the problem is is that the law itself demanded separation. That was the reason for the Sabbath day, circumcision, the food laws, the Passover, the feast days. They separated God's people from everybody else on the planet. And there was safety in that for God's people that was important. Because He told them, I don't want you intermarrying with the nations around you. I don't want you taking on their gods. Uh, but I want you to be just worshiping Me. So I need you to be separate. And the law demanded separation. Come out from among them and be ye separate. But the problem with commands to be separate is that when you 
place it into the heart and mind of sinful flesh, somehow it elevates us to a status in a category we don't belong in. Well, I'll have you know, <laughs> I'm better than everybody else. It's me, 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 and not you, and not you, and not you, 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 me, 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 you get it. Because flesh wants that. We want self-aggrandizement and self-recognition. And so we talk about us and me, and the Jews began to do that, and they began to add tradition to the Mosaic Law so that by the time of Christ, the Jews didn't just have 613 laws of Moses, they had over 1,200 laws that were fence laws. And the focus became the law as the means of salvation. And tradition was more important than the Word of God. Jesus told the Jews when He showed up, you have, you have violated what I, we gave you so much so that you have made void the Word of God through your tradition. Okay, you with me? So the Jews in the day of Christ and in the day of Paul were people that were bound by religious tradition. They were people that were bound by religious tradition. They had obscured their the, the right way to have a relationship with God. And when you go to these people that are steeped in tradition, they have a somewhat knowledge of God, but they've skewed their information to the point that perhaps they are more important than anybody else on the planet. There's going to be some people that will treat you like they treated Jesus. What are you doing going to the house of a Pharisee? What are you doing going into the house of these Jewish people? How dare you, Brother Larson, go into a church that doesn't preach the message of the cross? Man, just open the door for me and let me go. Just let me in. Let me talk to people that don't know the truth. Let me share what I've seen and what I've experienced. Because if I do know the truth, and I am a servant, and I am a debtor, I am bound to take the truth as God directs. Be careful now. As God directs, not as I think, but as God directs, not for selfish ambition, not for my own reason, but for as God directs to people who need to hear the truth. Don't you think that people that are trapped in traditions need to hear the truth? Do you know anybody that are bound by religious traditions? Do you? Anybody here know anybody that's bound by religious tradition? Guess what? They need you that know the truth. But when you take the time to go because you are trying to gain some, there will be those that will say, well, your actions, they're, they're not legitimate. Paul did what he did without ever compromising the Gospel. Interestingly enough, the Jews demanded circumcision. So in the life of Paul, as he was, as he was looking at and sharing the Gospel, one of the things that he did 
was that he adopted to their way of life, but never committed sin or compromise. For instance, remember Timothy, his young ward in the faith? Paul is the one who writes, circumcision means nothing. But in order to have Timothy free to walk into a synagogue, Timothy, who was raised by a Greek father and a Jewish mother and grandmother, he had Timothy circumcised because when he was younger, it wasn't so. And everybody who knew Timothy knew that. And if you weren't circumcised, you can't walk into a synagogue. So guess what Paul did? He had him circumcised. Not because he thought circumcision was anything. Not because he was compromising his faith. But because he wanted Timothy to have the opportunity to walk through the door and show people what Christianity looked like. Paul was free. He wasn't bound by the rules of religion or the rules of tradition. Uh, he, he didn't sin and he didn't compromise. In Acts 18, as he's leaving Corinth, the Bible tells us that as he closed out a vow, he uh, experienced or practiced, and we don't have much news on this or information, he practiced the Jewish tradition of shaving his head. Now, the Jewish tradition and the Mosaic law said when you finish the vow, you shave your head, and that was a sign that the vow was completed. And as the hair would grow, you were moving back into what you normally were. But in Acts 18.18, the Bible says, after Paul had tarried there in Corinth a while, he took leave of the brethren and sailed to Syria, and with him Priscilla and Aquila, having shorn his head in concrete, for he had a vow. Paul wasn't nervous about practicing a Jewish tradition. It's his liberty. He knows it means nothing, but yet for him, it meant something to say, Lord, I've finished something, now I'm starting something new. That was between him and God. But man, you could take a look at that and say, oh, Paul, you're compromising. No, Paul never sinned, neither did he compromise, but he became all things to all men so that he could you got to be able to talk to the people that you go to. you got to know where they are. And you never become what they are. But you got to know what they are, and you got to be able to put up with it long enough to be able to share what you know. In Acts, even after his third missionary journey, he comes back in Acts 21 to Jerusalem after his third missionary journey, 30 years after Pentecost. And James tells him there are many Jews that are still loyal and loving the Mosaic Law. And we hear that you're teaching and preaching against the law. Now, there's no record in the Scriptures that Paul ever had the opportunity to minister to the Jews, ever, in Jerusalem. So, James, who was the leader of the church in Jerusalem, who obviously was struggling with the understanding of how to live for God in the terms of the New Covenant. You have to understand, 1,600 years of law, the traditions and the binding lifestyles that the law demanded, and now someone is saying, oh, you don't need to do that anymore. That's not an easy switch. Okay. Some of you, I don't know if this is your home church, but when you go to your home church, you know what I know you do? You sit in the same place. Pastors come in, they have the old shepherd scan, they know right where to look for you, because you're a person of habit. You just come in and you just sit right down 
in the same seat. In fact, if you have visitors and somebody seats in it, even though your name's on it, you're thinking, what are they doing sitting in my seat? It's not easy to transition out of things that we're used to. That's my silly point. And 1,600 years of law is not an easy thing to overcome, and Paul knows it. So he's soft in the sense of this. James says, we want to hear what you're teaching and preaching, but to show that you still respect the law and that you're not against the law. And by the way, Paul was never against the law. He saw it for what it was. The third great revelation of God to humanity. He realized they were already in the era of the fifth revelation and that these were two revelations behind. James said, we have four men which have a vow on them Therefore, take and purify themselves with them and be at charges with them that they may shave their heads and all may know that those things whereof they were informed concerning thee are nothing, but that thou also walkest orderly and keepest the law. Well, right away, uh, I can hear some modern-day Christians, oh my goodness, Paul should have just shouted at James, I'm not under the law but he wanted the opportunity to address the Jerusalem church and have an opportunity to tell them why, scripturally, they were now no longer bound to the law. And so he did exactly what James has asked. And to this hour and to this day, modern scholarship still attacks Paul's actions. But Paul was at liberty He never got the opportunity because he was arrested in the temple and never did get a chance to bring that before the people. But he took the opportunity despite the fact that even today some people still criticize him for it. Paul is a servant. He's a debtor. In chapter 9 of Romans, he said, I would have given my own life to see my own flesh the Jewish nation saved. That's his heartbeat. And I'm challenged as I read it, as I see it, and I ask, am I willing to go to these extents to bring somebody that doesn't know the truth of the gospel? But we're continuing with Paul's statements. He said that he wants to become all things to all men to win some. And I had a question that Uh, was asked during the break, and I will mention it to you, and that's this. Many have used these passages to be able to participate in a sinful activity with others while they're performing it. This is not what Paul is saying. For instance, the question was asked, um, if a man is sitting down having a beer somewhere, do I sit down and order a beer so I can talk to him? No, you don't. But you might sit next to him and talk to him. That doesn't compromise what it is that you believe. You don't participate in men's evil, but if you are to avoid all men who are evil or who don't understand the gospel, how in the world is the gospel ever going to spread? So without compromising your convictions, without becoming what people are, we go to people regardless of who they are. Let me say it again. Without becoming what people are, 
we go to where people are and don't let what they are trouble us to the point that we're unwilling to share the gospel. And I have to stress that we have to live a spirit led life. I'm not encouraging you to run down in every bar where you live and drink with or be around where people are drinking. I'm not encouraging you to be where uh, people are not living right, but I am encouraging you to not be put off if the Lord leads you into a circumstance like that. Not everyone is going to be able to go everywhere, but you and I have to understand our liberty to the degree that we're not bound up by what other people think about us, but we must not compromise what we know is right, and we must not compromise the gospel when we have the opportunity to share it. Now are you with me? Are we clear? Uh, because again, now don't misuse this. This verse, and, and as I've taught it over the summer and over the year this last year, Again and again and again, people come with the rejection of the message because they've heard how people are using it incorrectly. Because they use it incorrectly doesn't mean that I avoid the truth. Amen? All right, so let's deal with the second group, those that are under the law. Now, to many, uh, Paul said he's a debtor and a servant to the Jew. Then he says he's a debtor and a servant to those who are under law. And in verse 20, to them that are under the law as under the law that I might gain them that are under the law. The best definition that I can say to you uh, about someone who is under the law is someone who thinks that what they do provides them with justification. That's the term for salvation. In other words, you're going to have to do this in order to be saved. In Paul's day, many of the Jews, and that's why some of the scholars that I've studied after say that these were Jews, but the far more than Jews have that addition to simple faith outside of the Jewish nation. So Paul used the designation, those that are under law. So I believe he's really looking at those who are trusting in laws or works for justification. An example might have been in that day and age, a group of people known as God-fearers. They were connected to the Jewish synagogues, and they weren't Jews. They were uh, on the way of being a proselyte Jew or becoming a Jew, or they were just men that were interested in uh, the Jewish faith. They found a reality there, a comfort there. But again, the Jewish tradition, as we talked about in the last class of people, had gone away from the truth of God's Word and were primarily revolving around tradition. So the God-fearers would be very uh, uh, tied in to the need for circumcision, the need to obey the law of Moses, and all these things that might be needed uh, for salvation in their minds is taught by the Jews. They were under the auspices of law as the means of salvation. And this is what I feel Paul is talking about here. Today, any group of people that believe that something in addition to faith in Christ uh, has to be done are those who are under the law. 
They, they are trusting in water baptism. Uh, perhaps they are trusting in being in our church. Some people trusting in the idea that if you don't speak in tongues, you're not saved. Others, in, you have to be circumcised and keep the law of Moses. So those that are under law are those that are reliant upon law for their salvation. Do you get what the category is? So not only do we have the Jewish nation, a group of people born uh, and following what primarily is uh, tradition, we also have those that are under law. And again, I ask the question, are you willing to adapt to those who are under the law? Not just get in an argument, but have an opportunity uh, to speak the truth to them and tell them that um, they have the opportunity to live free based on their faith in Christ alone, that faith in Christ is sufficient for salvation and sanctification. Faith alone is it. Now, we do believe, and all of us that teach the message of the cross should be saying, that when we are understanding faith properly and our faith is in Christ, our life changes. So works are the result. Good works are... That's a good time to say amen. Good works are always the result of properly centered faith. Always. Bar none. A changed life is the results. But when we add things to the gospel in order to bring about salvation, we are changing the nature of the gospel. Now, in Galatians, even though it's not totally about justification, this is the point in time where we see Paul get extremely strong. When people come along and add something as the Judaizers were, you need to be circumcised and obey the law of Moses to be saved. These were the people to whom Paul would say, if any man preach any other gospel other than what I'm preaching, let him be accursed. Those are the people that you're going to have to stand strong and say, that is a false way of salvation. They're trusting in law and works to bring about redemption, and it can't happen. God won't honor it. Uh, and a lot of people, they come in by faith, and then later they add these things to them. Well, they're in danger of losing the faith that brought them in. And so that gospel is not something that needs to be preached. And we have a lot of those people in, the, in our church world today. They need to know uh, that belonging to the Catholic Church or being water baptized or speaking in tongues or doing this or doing that is not inclusive to the requirements for salvation. Faith in Christ alone is that. So will you be a servant and a debtor towards those who are under the law in order to win some? You are getting where I'm going, aren't you? Okay. In verse 20, we're going to get into a category here that will take a little bit more time because the term law of Christ is in it. Paul is a debtor and a servant to the lawless. Now, to them that are without law as without law, and then he makes the addition to qualify himself, being not without law to God, but under the law to Christ, that I may gain them that are without law. This category is very simple. These are the lawless people. These are those that have followed the wicked designs and desires of their heart. Um, this is what I was. 
living in the world, having the conscience seared, dominated by the world, uh, the sin nature, the corruption of my flesh, powers of darkness, and following everything in my heart that I was big enough to be able to do. That was me. Those are the lawless. Their conscience is seared. They're not worried about what they what they do. Uh, they laugh at you if you talk about religion. They'd make fun of you. These are lost souls. I don't think that anybody in their right mind is going to tell me that I can't go to those that are without law. That's what our outreachers should do. They get into the world of the religious. They get into the world of religious tradition. They get into the world of the false way of the gospel. And they get to the people that just don't know. In America, I have actually met people over a course of a few years that never have heard the name of Jesus for salvation. Young people, 18, 19, 20. And that absolutely amazes me. But that's the nation in which we now live. So this group of lawless, Paul says, once again, don't lose sight of these terms. Debtor, servant. Debtor and servant. Man, it's kind of tough sometimes to feel like I should be a servant to the lost. And I forget sometimes that that's where I was when Jesus found me. Thank you for tuning in to Power of the Cross Radio. We hope these moments of inspiration have stirred your heart and uplifted your soul. Our mission is to share the timeless message of hope, love, and transformation that the cross represents. But we couldn't do this without you, our dedicated listeners. Your support breathes life into our broadcasts, enabling us to reach even more people with this powerful message. As you've experienced firsthand, the words spoken and the music played have the ability to touch lives and bring about positive change. If Power of the Cross Radio has become a source of encouragement and light for you, we kindly ask for your help in sustaining this ministry. Your contributions, whether big or small, make a significant impact in keeping this radio station on the airwaves. By partnering with us, you become part of a community that is spreading love, faith, and healing to all corners of the world. So please, consider supporting us financially, sharing about us with friends and family, and returning to listen. Let's continue this journey together, as we dive deeper into the profound message of the cross and its transformative power. Thank you for your unwavering support, and we look forward to having you right here with us again on Power of the Cross Radio. Remember, your involvement truly makes a difference. And until next time, stay blessed.